0: We continue our series by looking at Romans chapter 15. We will look at the second half of Romans 15 this morning. Chapter 15 verses 14 through 20 and then verses 30 through 33. Romans 15, 14 through 20, and then 30 through 33. We will be taking a break from Romans for the next two weeks as we celebrate Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, and then we will return to Romans the last week in April to wrap up this incredible book uh, written by Paul. Paul writes... These words to the Christians in Rome, Jews and Gentiles converting to Christianity, a group living as if they were in exile, being pushed out of Rome, being threatened with their life, being punished for the faith that they have, scrambling and knowing and wanting to know how as a Christian to survive... In such a world like this. And Paul writes these words Romans 15, beginning in verse, chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of God. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, which is, by the way, modern-day Yugoslavia, so from Jerusalem to Yugoslavia, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to pray on my behalf that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I might come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And on this Lord's day, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Who wants to live the wonderful life? Everybody, right? Thank you for your honesty. Nobody woke up this morning and said, I don't want my life to be wonderful or beautiful, or remarkable. Every single one of us in this room woke up and said, I want the remarkable life, the wonderful life. None of us are immune to that desire. Our culture has something to say about it, doesn't it? Our culture says the wonderful, remarkable life is full of health And wealth and beauty and prosperity. Just last year, the Wall Street Journal ran an article entitled, How to Retire by Age 40. Because that's the goal after all. By age 40, be done with the burdens and the labors of this world and cruise on a yacht and post all your pictures on Instagram. That's the goal of life, isn't it? That is the wonderful life. But what's interesting is we see quite a different picture of the wonderful life from the Apostle Paul. You see, from the Apostle Paul, we see a life that is marked by assault, threatened with his life for preaching the gospel, a man arrested, a man beaten, a man chastised. And we're tempted to look at that life and say, what a pitiful life that is. But instead, we're gonna look at this morning how this truly is the remarkable life for 14 chapters, Paul has spoken on this idea of the gospel. He's spoken on this incredible idea of the sovereignty and the greatness of God. He's talked about for 14 chapters what it is for the church to believe. But here we get a glimpse into the life and the heart of Paul. We see a life of a man changed by the gospel that he preached. We see the life of a man marked by the message of the bigness and the greatness of God that he championed to the Christians in Rome, we truly get a picture and a testimony of what life is truly to look like. Not the wonderful life according to this world or according to the culture of this world, but a picture of a wonderful life according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two things mark the wonderful life of the Apostle Paul. Mission and dependence. It would be mission and dependence that marks the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's study Romans chapter 15 together. The first thing that we see here in this passage is that Paul's life was a life on mission. Paul's life was a life on mission. This is the first mark of a wonderful, the wonderful life of the Apostle Paul. It was a life on mission. Verse 16, what does he say? He says, to be a minister. This is my mission, to be a minister Of Jesus Christ to who? To the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Could Paul be any more clear? Could he be any more succinct? Could he be any more straightforward about the mission that God has placed on his life? One of the problems that you and I suffer from is that many of us go through life aimless. We go through life without any purpose. We go through life without any mission. But the people of God have one singular mission. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your vocation, regardless of how old you are or what stage of life you are, this is ultimately the mission of the people of God to take the gospel to the the people that God has placed in our lives. Paul said, this is my mission, to serve as a priest in the priestly service of God, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. This was Paul's singular mission. And if you belong to Jesus this morning, this is your singular mission in life as well. Paul's mission was to bring the good news of God to the Gentiles, to go beyond Jerusalem, to go into the pagan culture, to go into the secular world and take the good news that Jesus is not dead but alive. And we see this all throughout the ministry and the missionary journeys of Paul, going into every sphere of culture, into the workplaces, going into the market. It's going into the public square, going into the places of trade and commerce to tell them that Jesus was dead, but now he's alive and that you can have the life that you've always dreamed of in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting here that Paul uses Old Testament temple language, doesn't he? He says, I've entered into the priestly service. To offer up the Gentiles as an offering to God. Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is using Old Testament temple language. It would be in the temple that a priest would come in and be on behalf of the people of God. The priest would make what? Would make sacrifice and he would offer it up to God on behalf of the people. But there was one stipulation. The offering and the sacrifice had to be what? It had to be right. It had to be acceptable to God or God would reject the offering. And what Paul is saying here is that my singular mission in life is like a priest whose job is to bring the Gentiles and make them right with God. Think about that mission. That Paul understood that the only way that man can be made right with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says that the only way these Gentiles are going to be made right with God is for them to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, if we would see that as our mission, that every single person we come in contact with, that we would see them as an offering, that it is our calling to one day present them before God, that they would be made right and acceptable to God in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that parents and grandparents, that we would see this mission in our lives and in our homes, that we would not offer up our children and say, God, my child is acceptable to you because they made the travel baseball team. But God, my children would be made right with you and we'd be made acceptable to you because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, would we see that as our mission. That our children and our grandchildren, our spouses and our neighbors and our family and every single person we come in contact with every single day that there would be one singular message that one day they will have to stand before God and that the only way that God will let them into heaven, the only way that they will be made right with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ and God has put me here on this earth and kept me on this earth to share that good news so that they would be made right with God. This is the message and the mission of Paul. You see, Paul understood what motivated him was that God has sent his son down, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for us, and that in in light of that, we now can sacrifice our lives for God in the mission of God. You see, the problem with the North American church is this. That we get saved, we hear the gospel, but it doesn't make any difference in our lives. You see, for Paul, the gospel that he preached made him focus less on himself and more on others. It made him what we call outward-facing instead of inward-facing. But this is the tragedy in the North American church. You see, we hear the gospel, we're saved by the gospel, and we come to church every Sunday and we go, didn't like that song. The coffee, little week. I had a park on 22nd Avenue and walked through the grass. They don't have the programs I like at that church. The Bible study meets on the wrong night of the week. And the list goes on and on and on. And I want to ask us this morning, where did we get the impression this was all about us? Where did we get the impression that this whole thing revolves around us? But instead, maybe, just maybe, God didn't save you for your glory, but God saved you for his glory. God didn't save you for your mission. God saved you for his mission. This is a life transformed by the gospel. Less about me and more about God. Less inward facing, more outward facing. Not only preached a gospel-centered message, but he lived it as well. Live a life on mission. This was one of the great markers of the wonderful life of the Apostle Paul. But we also see here not only the Apostle Paul's life being a life on mission, but we see it as a life dependent upon God. This was a man dependent solely on God himself. In verses 18 and 19, what does Paul say? For I will not venture to speak of anything except Jesus Christ. You see, this was a man that had every right to announce his accolades, to announce his credentials, to announce where he had been, to announce his missionary journeys, to announce how much he had been suffering for the cause of God and for the cause of Jesus Christ. But he says, I will talk about nothing except for Jesus Christ. You see, it was not Paul's power or strength or self-reliance, but it was his utter dependence upon God that marked the wonderful, remarkable life of the Apostle Paul. But it's consistent, isn't it? It's consistent with this Paul that one book later in 1 Corinthians, we read this. The same Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were were noble of birth, but God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. This is how God works. This is how God moves. He calls weak, incompetent people to full be the wisdom of God to shame the world so that none of us could claim by our own power, by our own might, by our own strength, but in our lives we could only claim there is one power working in us and it is the very power of God. It's interesting how history speaks of the Apostle Paul. The history describes the Apostle Paul as short, bow-legged, bald, and nearly blind, Kind of think of uh, apostolic Danny DeVito of sorts. But it begs the question, how did this guy, how did Paul take the world by storm? How was Paul used at a, as a catalyst to begin a movement that would one day topple the Roman Empire? It's found right here. Utter dependence upon the grace of and the glory and the strength of God. He understood that it was the work and the strength of the power of God alone that would be his strength in the midst of his weakness, utterly dependent upon God. In the NBA, every year, like other sports, they have their annual tradition of inducting former players into the Hall of Fame. And one year, David Robinson and Michael Jordan, arguably two of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game, were inducted into the Hall of Fame. And they gave both David Robinson and Michael Jordan an opportunity to deliver remarks and to deliver a speech. It was Michael Jordan's turn, and he stands up. And he talks about his tenacity. He talks about his his um, training and workout routine. He talks about all of the things that he had done in his life to make him the basketball player that he would eventually become to be. The greatness of Michael Jordan on display. But then David Robinson gets up. And in utter humility, talks nothing but Jesus. That Jesus is my power. That Jesus is my strength. That Jesus is the source of everything and anything great I have done in my life. If you visit the Basketball Hall of Fame today, there have two displays. One for Michael Jordan and one for David Robinson, among the other athletes that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Michael Jordan's display are his medals and his newspaper clippings and all of the awards he's ever won. But David Robinson's display right in the middle is his Bible for all the world to say that I am not, but I know the one who is. Listen to me. Making that statement, I am not, but I know the one who is, there is no truer statement that you can make. If you are here this morning and you are feeling inadequate, you are feeling inadequate as a mom, you are feeling inadequate as a dad you are feeling inadequate as a husband and inadequate as a wife, feeling inadequate as a man and feeling inadequate as a woman, then congratulations, you are in good company because so was the apostle Paul. Paul understood far too well his inadequacy. And what did it drive him to do? Verse 30 I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The only thing Paul could resort to is lift me up in prayer before the very throne of God. May we be a church that understands its inadequacies, that understands also the adequacy of God and the strength of God and be marked as a church that goes to God faithfully in prayer as the only source of strength, as the only source of hope, listen to me this morning. If God so chooses to use this church moving forward to bring revival to this city and to this region and by God's grace to the world, it will only be because of our utter dependence upon God. If God so chooses to use this church to bring revival to this city and to this region and ultimately by his grace to the world, it will only be because of our utter dependence upon God. God, your power in me, your strength on display in my life. The second, past- the second week as pastor of this church... I was standing in the narthex following the service. And there was a woman in our church that made a beeline to me. She seemed like she was heavy of heart and of mind. And it's something she really wanted to tell me. And she said, Pastor, I just, I didn't want to go another week, I didn't want to go another day without telling you this. I didn't want you to be our pastor. I didn't even vote for you. She had the gift of encouragement. And I just wanted you to know that. Wow. How do you respond to that? I'll never forget that Sunday, getting in my car. And you know the feeling. We've all at some level been on the receiving end of those kind of words and those kind of statements. But I'll never forget getting in my car. It was a low moment. And envisioning God asking me this question. Did you get into this? for you did you get into this for you or did you get into this for me Rob is all of this for you are you doing all this for me perfect submission all is at rest I and my Savior and happy and blessed God speaks to us through the cross and says Your longing for affirmation and your longing for approval and your longing for hope and your longing for assurance comes from nowhere else and from no place else other than me. I am the source of your strength. I am the source of your hope. I am the source of your assurance. I am the source of your approval. I am the source of your affirmation, period. Who wants a wonderful life? The truth is this, it is found on no place under the sun. It is not found when your life settles down. It is not found when you get your dream job. It is not found when you have kids or when one day you get rid of your kids. It is not found one day when you retire. The truth is this, if you have not found it now, you will never find it except at the foot of the cross. There is only one place to find the wonderful life. Jesus says that I give you life. That I come that you might have life and have it to the full. I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That Jesus gives us life and that fulfillment of life, that full life, that abundant life does not begin when you die, but it begins the moment you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no place to find the very thing that your heart longs for except for the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul ends his life eventually making his way to Rome but in chains, eventually to be executed. And by our world standards, you would say, what a tragedy, what a tragic life. I beg to differ. I look at the life in the ministry of Paul and 2,000 years later, I think we all can agree that is truly a wonderful life.